You don't look like a hot mess, any of the three of you. <laughs> you look like you're doing amazing things. Despite what happened over the last 12 months, we're all, we're all holding it together at some level, so that's good. <laughs> Welcome back to another edition of the Good and Grounded podcast, a project that was born out of the global pandemic and our interest in shedding light on where the biggest needs exist in our Colorado communities and what you and I as engaged community members can do to make a difference. I'm Jim Licko. And I'm Lara Love. In today's episode, we're fortunate enough to be joined by three of Colorado's leaders who understand all too well that food insecurity is an incredibly complex issue that doesn't require a simple solution. Arlen Preblood is the founder and executive director of We Don't Waste. Eli Zane is the founder of Denver Community Fridges. And Brad Allen Rubendale is the executive director of So All May Eat and the Same Cafe. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So Brad, you have sort of a fascinating background. I loved when we first talked. You're a former pastor. Yeah, I have the weirdest life of any human I've ever met so far, and I've met quite a few. Um, but yeah, I was I was a pastor for quite a few years, and then I was excommunicated and fired and lost everything when I came out as gay. And I was homeless myself for about nine months, um, couch surfing with different friends. And during that period of my life, I actually came to Same Cafe as a guest because I had lost access to healthy food. And to give you an idea, it's interesting talking around food. Um, I gained about 35 pounds during that year that I was food insecure. And so the reality is you can get food, you just can't get healthy food. Um, and so that's one of the things that I love about Same Cafe. Anyway, I came to Same Cafe as a guest and then um, kind of reformatted my career in the nonprofit sector. And I also have to call out my own privilege in this particular instance because I am an overeducated white guy from Missouri. <laughs> Um, and so the world is built for me to succeed, being gay notwithstanding. Um, and I wish that there were more people of color, more women, more trans folks that had the same experience that I did, where I got to take over this, the organization that helped me at my darkest moment um, about five years later. And um, so anyway, I got to take over as the executive director. And since then, we've just been growing and um, we've... In 2019, we served about double the number that we did the year before I started. Um, and then last year, of course, in 2020, we served even more because food insecurity was so much bigger. And now we're in the process of replicating. So it's been really fun. And I love the fact that I've had experiences on both sides of that counter, both as someone who needed food and was ashamed of the fact that I needed healthy food and um, someone who now gets to help serve other people delicious, healthy, locally sourced meals. But yeah, I, that's not even the whole thing. I was also raised in a cult and I like I have a whole lot of other fun <laughs> things, but we'll stick with the food based stuff right now. Maybe maybe we'll have you back for an in-depth view into Brad's oh, life and, and, and dig into those. Everyone would need a beverage. Yeah. Small, small world connection, Brad. I'm actually an alumni of Wartburg College and I know you know Bonita Bach pretty well yes. in the Wartburg West program. And um, we have uh, interns that come out to Denver every uh, every semester. And so I think Same Cafe is one of their stops to learn a little bit more about the community and what a great, uh, what a great way to dive into discussions about homelessness and food insecurities and things like that for, for college age kids. So I um, appreciate you participating with them. Um, Going around the table here, Arlen, you were a practicing attorney for more than 40 years. 
I'm sure there's a few steps that got you here, but how do you go from practicing law to jumping in your Volvo station wagon to collect unused food for restaurants, from restaurants? Well, it's not as exciting as Brad's history, but I'll take a stab at it. I practiced uh, and uh, for a good number of years, and I represented a lot of uh, unfortunate, vulnerable people as well. And then if you recall, in about 2008, we hit the Great Recession. And I no longer wanted to compete with the big firms who had uh, a lot of money and could sustain themselves. And I was quite honestly a little uh, full of uh, practicing law and beating my head against the wall and not getting the satisfaction that my clients wanted, right? So I decided to retire from that and uh, wanted to do something. In fact, I needed to do something. And I uh, looked around and uh, my wife and I are foodies. And I have uh, volunteered at a number of nonprofits and during that time. And I noticed that those that were serving people food were having a difficult time struggling because one, they weren't getting the financial support that they needed, and they were unable to provide as much food as they needed to their clients. So I began asking the people that I knew in the restaurant industry, what do you do with the food at the end of the night? And they said that they generally had to throw it away. And as you know, uh, chefs and cooks hate to throw food away. So I asked them, I said, well, would you donate this food? And they said, yeah, we'd do it. So then I went back and talked to the agencies that I was familiar with. And I said, would you take food that I was able to source and, and donate it to you? And they, you know, their eyes got big and they said, for sure. So it took me about six to eight months to develop a business plan. And uh, I have two sons that are computer literate and they developed a, a program for me so I could track everything. And I kept working on it. And they came to me one day and they said, dad, just do it. Quit trying to make it perfect. Just do it. So I had this Volvo. I put the seats down, got a tarp at Home Depot. And along the way, one of the people in the restaurant industry said, you need to contact caterers because they have an abundance of food because they generally overproduce for events. If you're having one for 250, they're going to prepare for 275 because they don't want anyone to walk away and say, where was the food tonight? So I started with the caterers and convinced them and they would uh, bring the food back from an event. They would uh, pan it into aluminum foils. They'd cover it, label it, put it in their cooler and call me. And that's how it began. That's amazing. One of the, one of the things we always used around our office, one of the, one of the sayings we always use is progress over perfection. And I love your, your sons being like, Hey dad, let's just, let's just get this thing going. Let's not make it perfect. You know, <laughs> that is our motto for this year. Progress over perfection. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I love that story. I read that when I was researching a little bit more about you and, and speaking of research, I, Eli's laughing because I, I read about this amazing project and I can't remember which newspaper, but I, you know, reached out to Eli and just said, I'd love to hear more about it. I was so fascinated, but you had not been in Colorado very long, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. So I moved here August of 2019. I'm originally from Southern California. I moved out here for grad school and I, I don't even really know how I fell into this work. It was really pandemic related, I think. Um, I saw activists like all over the country starting community fridges in their cities. And I was, you know, looking around at Denver and seeing like all the housing sweeps and everything like that. And I was like, wow, I really think that our city could benefit from this. And originally I was just like, 
looking up to see if somebody was already doing this so I could support their work. And I kind of came up empty. And so me being an ambitious 24 year old, I was like, oh, I'll just do it myself. Like I'll start one or two. And then, you know, if people want to keep it going, like that's more than welcome. And now we're about to open our sixth fridge potentially tomorrow. So it's, it's grown much larger than I ever could have expected. So tell me, I mean, I, I had the, I'm sure others have as well because you're growing so quickly, but I had the pleasure of reading about you. For those that don't know about the Denver Community Fridge Project, will you share a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, the Denver Community Fridges are just exactly how it sounds. So they are refrigerators that are plugged into local businesses and they're left outside on the sidewalk. Um, they're plugged in 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, and they're stocked by community members for community members. So um, if somebody's food insecure or like a college student and like can't afford, you know, extra ingredients aside from noodles or something like that, then they can come by the fridges whenever they want. They don't need to check in with anybody, which I think is a really huge proponent as to why so many people use the fridges is they don't need to show ID. They don't need to fill out paperwork. They don't need to talk to anybody or be afraid that someone's going to call the cops on them. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're just fridges on the sidewalk that serve our community members. And it's pretty magical. That's amazing. And, and I feel like, Eli, your, your involvement in, in food insecurity and, and with the, the fridges was born out of the pandemic. Um, Arlen and Brad, your work had been there beforehand. Can the three of you, all, all, just in your own opinions, kind of address what the last year has done, what you've seen the last year, what it has done with the folks, um, with, with individuals who may be food insecure, um, and, and how your organizations have responded accordingly? Sure. That's an excellent question, Jim. You know, before the pandemic, we were supplying roughly probably 220 community-based agencies throughout the metropolitan Denver area. And we are, operate uh, five days a week. And then in March of, well, not in March, actually in November of 2018, we did some research and we found that there were about 50 food deserts within the city and county of Denver. And we then overlaid that map that we found with where we were delivering product to community-based agencies. And we saw that there were areas that we just weren't addressing the problem with. So we went further into the research and we determined that an area that we could really have an impact on was the Globeville area Swansea neighborhood. Uh, the last grocery store in that neighborhood was a 7-Eleven that closed about, at that time, it closed uh, about two years prior to us moving into that area. And so we always partner with community agencies. So we partnered with one on the north side of I-70, Family Focus Research Resource Center, and on the south side, Garden Place Academy, which is a K through five elementary school. And what we did is we would bring the food in our trucks to the location and we'd set up farmer's market style uh, food access. Literally, we display the food, and we had folks could come through, walk the line, and pick and choose what they wanted. And there was no limitation. In fact, I tell this story. One day I was there, and uh, a woman with her young son came through, and there were bananas in typical banana boxes. And he said, well, how many can I take? 
And one of our volunteers said, you take as many as you want and need. And his mm-hmm. eyes just got wide like saucers. And so we didn't limit and we don't limit what people can take other than if it's a protein, perhaps if we're giving out turkeys, we might say one per family. But these folks really uh, enjoyed it. And it was with equity and it was with pride that they were able to shop and pick and choose what they wanted rather than uh, being handed a bag of groceries and taking it home and finding that one, they didn't know what to do with the product or they didn't like it and it ended up in the trash. Come March of 2019, everything went crazy, as you know. The pandemic hit, so we quickly, within the space of two weeks, made them both drive through mobile food markets, where we changed the routine. We had volunteers that would come to us. They would package the food in grocery bags and boxes, and then we would transport them to the mobile markets and hand them out as people drove through hugely successful, and it grew from two to now eight a month that we do. And you asked what the change was. The demand probably increased by about 300%. And we went from 90 uh, community-based agencies, we added another 30, and we still have about another 20 that are waiting for us to put them online. And you see individuals who in your life would never, ever, be in a food pantry or a food bank getting food. But these are folks that have been hit hard. And unfortunately, even though the pandemic will, will soon end, or at least its impact to the degree it is today will change. But unfortunately, all those folks that have been laid off, many of those jobs are not available anymore. And they're still going to be out there struggling to find not only work, but to provide for their families. So we see an opportunity for us to continue to grow and provide uh, more food to more people. It's amazing. Uh, it just fascinating to to hear those statistics of a 300% increase. And then kudos to you and your organization for ramping up so quickly with those community-based organizations. I live up on the north side and, and am familiar with uh, um, some of the organizations you mentioned. So it's it's nice. Uh, I've been involved with Denver Urban Gardens a little bit, and they've they've been some, some a good partner with some of those organizations as well. Brad, same question for you. What what did you see change last year around this time, uh, and and how have you and your team modified, pivoted all those at all those verbs that we've used to to say how we've changed in the last year? Yeah, it was intense. We had um, we were supposed to be doing our gala on March 20th of last year. So, you know, the week right before that, what happened? Um, so we immediately, as soon as the restrictions went in place, we pivoted that day to being fully to go. Um, and we started serving meals off of our patio that day, um, all to go, all in uh, healthy, locally sourced, all of that goodness, but a limited menu. Um And from that day forward, we started serving fully to go for about three months. Um, And then as things started to ease up and the restrictions released a little bit, we opened up our patio again so that people could sit down. Um, And then later in the summer, we reopened our indoor dining for a bit before it shut down again. And now we're back up to 50%. Um, But I will say the fascinating thing with... uh, the incredible people I get the honor of working with is that they have been so flexible in the last 12 months because we have switched our model like six different times (laughs) Um, as we're trying to uh, accommodate different 
restrictions and, and safety precautions and all of that. So during that three months, the three to four months of the full shutdown, um, we served almost as many meals in that period as we had the year prior, just because that was the the increase that we were seeing. We also were able to partner with Denver Human Services, and we served all of the families that were living in their supportive motel housing. So they opened up three different motels, and we were able to before we opened for the day, the staff would put together the boxes for them, and then they would come pick them up and deliver them, the DHS would come deliver them to the motels, and then we'd have our normal service for the day. Um, <clears throat> and then we switched back to a more in-store version of what we were doing um, after doing a full renovation. So we had to renovate everything to make sure it was COVID safe. We were also out of compliance with some um, older standards related to ADA compliance and just a lot of different things. So we did a full upgrade. And I'm proud to say for the entirety of all of that, we never shut down for service one day. Um, we served every day that we normally would have. Um, and then our board jumped in and they started making sandwiches for Saturdays so that our staff could have two days in a row off because everyone was so exhausted. And so they would make sandwiches off site and bring them in. Um, so it was really cool to see how everyone jumped in. But one of the most interesting pieces is that our model depends on donations of time, money, and produce. So we have folks volunteer, donate what they can, uh, or give produce in exchange for a meal. But the whole mission is to create community. And so it was challenging when we're just handing meals out. Um, we were solving hunger issues, but we weren't particularly in our mission. And so as quickly as we could, we were still inviting people back in to sit down and make sure that they felt free and safe to be able to volunteer in exchange for their meal. Because a huge number of our guests, um, they want to give back. It's not that they just want to have free food. They want to be able to give back and be a part of a community. So we created a socially spaced um, kitchen table where they can prep vegetables um, that's apart from the kitchen. So there's just been a lot of very creative solutions to all of the weird challenges that we faced. And I have a rock star team that has been able to like pull that together and make it happen. Because I can't do anything. I actually don't do anything. <laughs> all I do is get people excited about doing things. <laughs> and so I'm really, really proud of them um, for kind of pulling through. I can't cook, I, uh, you know, I, um, but I can enjoy some good food. That's what I always say. I'm like, what, what is my role here? I'm completely unemployable if this place ever goes exactly. down. Exactly. That's how I feel. <laughs> well, I have to ask Eli because I keep thinking about you saying you're 24 years old and I'm so impressed with you and the amount of leadership lessons that I'm sure you've learned. You probably went to school or grad school to learn some more and you probably, my guess is learn more by doing this project about being a leader than you ever would have imagined. So I'd just be curious, what are some of and this is really for all of you, but in this time, what are some of the leadership lessons that you have learned, Eli, through doing this work? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, well, I think one thing is that I learned that I'm always going to be learning, right? So like, even when my team like asks me questions, I'm like, I don't necessarily have all the answers, but I'm just kind of figuring things out as I go. Um, and I think that that's just everybody's MO and also like really helps like bring the veil down, right? Like it looks like all neat and nice and perfect, like on the outside, but I'm a hot mess, like on the inside. <laughs> um, and I definitely think like continuing to learn is super duper important because as you know, our policies change as like our communities change, like we also have to be able to adapt to that. 
Um, so one of the biggest things I've learned is like trying to make sure that we hit all the intersections, right? So we're trying to address food insecurity, but so many different things go into food insecurity, as I'm sure Brad and Arlen are also very familiar with. Um, so there's a large portion of the population that we do serve, but there's also a lot of people that we're missing, right? Because we are only in so many of the neighborhoods so far. Like I said, we're about to open our sixth fridge, um, hopefully this week. And so making sure that we hit all the areas that have food deserts, like places like Aurora and Globeville are really, really important to us. And making sure that we stay also concentrated in Denver, um, is really important so that we can keep these efforts sustainable, right? Because there's nothing worse than just like dropping a fridge off and being like, okay, deal with it, you know? There needs to be somebody who's going to be there to follow up. And like the follow through is incredibly important. Um, just as Brad said, you know, like they didn't miss a beat even with the pandemic. Like they opened every day that they normally would have. And I can't even imagine how many people are relying on that. And one of our fridges recently malfunctioned. And if y'all know anything about me, I don't know anything about appliances. I am not <laughs> technologically savvy, even though I am 24. I have never learned so much about a fridge in my life and I never thought that I would, but you know, the circumstances of my work really do demand that. And the fridge was down for maybe three weeks and people were really sad about it. And it was really just trying to figure out like, okay, what's the best like solution for the moment and just like trying to roll with the punches, right? Like I'm learning on the job just like the rest of us. Right. Mm -hmm. I love the hot mess. I, I think I've always known I was a hot mess, but COVID has certainly just confirmed that I'm a total <laughs> hot mess as a leader. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I think like everybody's like, oh, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. Like I am <laughs> completely blacked out for the last 12 months. Like I could not tell you how I started this project. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I know. There's going, like I said, there's going to be books written, right? That our grandchildren will read about the way leaders responded and were flexible and innovative during this time. Arlen, what about you when you think about, you know, you've been at this a while. I'm sure you've learned a few things along the way this year. Well, I've learned quite a bit. I mean, from the beginning until this year, certainly a lot. And I think one of the learning experiences for me has been you have to jump in and do things. And if you can show your staff, and I have a tremendous staff, you talk about people not missing a beat. All during this COVID experience, we have not missed, like Brad said, a day where we couldn't go out and pick up and deliver food to our, our clients. But uh, I think one of the key lessons is you have to be available to your staff. You have to be able to do what you're asking them to do. Uh, we have four refrigerator trucks. We have a 10, 14, an 18, and a 26. I can drive all of them but the 26. Uh, I haven't attempted that one yet because you have to have a CDL license. But otherwise, I. I'm not averse to getting in the truck. I'm not averse to driving the pallet jack uh, and the forklift in, in our distribution center. And I think those kinds of things allow people that you're working with to understand that if he can do it, I can do it. And the other thing that I've learned is once you have responsible people, let them do their job. Mm -hmm. You can be a team leader and you can be an innovator, but when it gets right down to it, you have to let those folks that you rely on do their job and affirm that with them. And it's been very successful. I love that. I always say I hire really, really smart people and I get the hell out of their way. <laughs> so Brad, you've already stated you don't really do anything, which I know isn't actually true. Um, really not. 
But it is funny um, reflecting on what, what Arlen just said is the the idea of like everyone doing what they're good at is really important. And so for the first couple of weeks, I was in there trying to cook, which again, I don't cook and I'm not good at it. And the staff finally said, Brad, get out of here and go do your job, which is letting the community know what the need is so that they can help support it. And so I kind of got out of their way, let them do what they do. Um, and I think what I've learned so much through this uh, was is the the vi- how important it is to listen to other people who are doing things that I'm not doing. Because if I don't hear them when they say, Brad, we need this, then it's not going to do any good. Um, you know, like we're not going to be able to function as a team. And the other thing is, is I think we all discovered the importance of self-care in this because we were kind of front, front lines. And so... Um, about halfway through, we, it was maybe about a month into it. We finally, I basically told the staff, I was like, we're going to a five day week where we're only working five days and the board is going to take that sixth day. And then, um, every other week, at least you have to take a day off in the middle of the week to go do self-care. And so we had kind of mandatory mental health days. And then after two, two weeks of this, I realized I hadn't taken one. And I was like, well, this isn't doing any good if I'm not showing them how to do self-care. No one else is going to take self-care because we're all feeling the urgency right now. And so I had to model it. I had to listen carefully to the exhaustion of people and to say, what is it that you actually need in that process? Um, And then also to just realize, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know how to run a restaurant. That's why I hire restaurant people that know what the hell they're doing. In fact, one of the things I'm really proud of Denver about is that everyone who was doing food-based stuff got on a call every week, wasn't it? Every other week or something like that, where everyone that was doing this was on the on a call um, with Denver, City and County of Denver, and they were all creatively just saying, okay, how many have we served? What do we need? And then you could just put out a request for what you needed and people would respond. And so we got tons of like to-go containers just donated from different segments of the city. Um, and then we were able to address some of those needs. That's how we found the need with Denver Human Services. That's how we found the need with Urban Peak. And we served their kids that are in supportive housing. And so I appreciated the collaborative element that came forward. And no one was like, no, we're going to be stingy with resources. No, instead, let's like share resources and share expertise and learn from each other. And it was really beautiful. It was one yeah. of the most collaborative things that I've ever seen happen. And it's <clears throat> formed me as a leader for how I want to go forward. Yeah, that's amazing. One of the things that we keep coming back to in this podcast, regardless of the topic, is the humanity that came out of things and the fact that people are willing to say, I'm going to drop what I'm doing to try to help my community out. And that's just, uh, if there's if there's any silver lining that could be, <laughs> that could that could help us all out and being a little bit more positive. Um it's funny how fast a half hour flies, especially when you're talking with creative, amazing individuals like the three of you. I mean, we've got um, refrigerators that are being filled with food for people in need around town. We've got, um, you know, food waste from restaurants and catering companies that are now being put to great use. And we've got a pay as you go cafe, just awesome, like innovative, amazing ideas. We like to leave all of our listeners with sort of the, the easiest way or maybe the best way or the biggest need of where they can help. Um, and Arlen, maybe I'll start with you. The, the you you had said how much food, how much of our food ends up in landfills, and if someone wants to get involved, how can they jump into the we don't waste effort? Sure, thank you, and thank you, uh, Laura and Jim, for inviting us to uh, participate in this group. It's been great to talk with Brad and Eli. Uh, you're right. Forty percent of the food that's uh, 
raised in this country and produced in this country goes to waste. And it's because of that food waste that we're able to provide so much nutritious food to those that we serve. You know, since uh, since I began this uh, in 2009, we put out about 125 million servings, which is about equal to about 41 million, almost 42 million meals. So we can only do that with the support of the community. And your question of how can people become involved, if they visit our website at wedontwaste.org and hit the uh, about tab, it'll drop down. and You can see where our mobile food markets are for those that are interested in, in visiting those. And two, we depend a lot on our volunteers. You know, when COVID first started, many of the agencies that we supported had to close because they were supported by volunteers. And many of them were elderly people that just couldn't risk going to work in food pantries. Uh, we thought that might impact us when it came to volunteers, but I'm happy to say that we have a lot of volunteers that every, we run about two uh, volunteer groups a week that package food for us. And many, many of them are young people, which is heartwarming to, to see them come out and help us. So volunteer work is uh, one way to help us. The other is certainly as Brad and I'm sure Eli know, that we can't continue to do this unless we're financially sustainable. And it costs a lot of money to operate uh, a business like this. Even though we're a nonprofit, we still have to pay rent. We still have to put gas into trucks. We have to pay our employees. So any donation that people would like to make, and again, if you visit our website, wedontwaste.org, hit the donate button. We're just happy and uh, very appreciative of any support that you can give us financially. So, Brad, you had originally said we should, and we should have, like, we should have just recorded this at Same Cafe. We were, we were not smart. <laughs> but if people want to get involved and help you out in Same Cafe, how do they go about that? Absolutely. So, uh, again, as I mentioned before, the mission runs on donations of time, money, and produce. So there's opportunities to volunteer. We have five different layers of volunteerism. Um, so sign up for one of those. Uh, you can donate what you can. You come by for a meal, certainly. Um, and one of the things that I love about it is that we have folks who donate a little and a lot in each of those categories, you know, based on the what they have and what they can give back. And so we do have those donors who click and, and donate big amounts, which is really important for us to continue to be sustainable. But then we also have the people who come in and donate $2 in exchange for their meal every day because that's what they can afford. Um, <clears throat> and same with volunteers. We have some folks will come in and volunteer for one task for a meal. And then we have a guy a couple years ago that won an award for giving us like 500 hours of service or something. Wow. Great. Um, and so, yeah, basically any of those three categories, time, money, and produce. And then the, the other way is we're in the process of expanding around the country, actually. And so if you want to start a same cafe in your community, talk to me. We're building the infrastructure so that we can support local grassroots efforts to bring a same cafe to their community. That's awesome. You just announced one too, right? Your first expansion? Second location will be in Toledo, Ohio. We've been working with a grassroots wow. group there for the last two and a half years. And we're excited to open this year. We will open in 2021 if we can find the right location. So that's the next thing. That's awesome. Congrats. That's great. Well, Eli, I wish I was an artist because I am so fascinated. <laughs> I couldn't fix your refrigerator and I can't paint it, but we certainly could <laughs> promote to others how they could get involved if they wanted to help you out. 
Absolutely. Well, there's a lot of ways to get involved with the fridges, which I think is really a big part of the beauty of the project. And similarly with Arlen and Brad's work, um, the work that we do is so vast and there's so many different ways to be involved that it really makes community members feel like excited about our work, which I am consistently like very in awe of. Um, I would say that the biggest need we have is making sure our refrigerators stay stocked. So if you have excess food, um, that you are not going to eat and that you think somebody else might find yummy. Even specialty items are incredibly in demand. Um, so like olive oil, spices, um, we don't accept raw meat, but any prepared meals um, that are made in a restaurant or a grocery store are also in high demand. Drinks like water bottles, um, kombucha, anything like that, huge demand, especially hand warmers as well as we move out of winter. Um, but it's still getting a little chilly, so we want to make sure our unhoused neighbors stay warm. Um, so there's lots of ways to get involved. If you are food insecure yourself and are a little too shy about like going to a food pantry because you're scared of whatever reason, feel free to stop by a community fridge in your area. Hopefully there will be one, fingers crossed, in most of the major neighborhoods here in Denver by the end of 2021. That is my deep hope, um, but we'll see. And um, yeah, as the rest of the folks here have stated, feel free to visit our website. We do have a donations page where people can donate financially, but we also have um, volunteer forms where people could donate their time. Um, or if they are an artist, we would love to employ them. We do pay all of our artists who, pay, who paint our um, fridges because they're a big reason that we get so much attention and love. Um, so paying that forward is really important to us and we can't do it without the lovely donations from our community members. That's awesome. Um, just, I'm, again, guys, I am so just taken aback by the work that you all do. I think it's amazing that we have the three of you and so many more in our Denver community to tackle these issues. Um, for those of you listening at home, uh, give your time, give your talent, give your treasure if you can. Um, Eli, I'm automatically thinking about the next time I order takeout, I'm probably going to take it, you know, put in an extra order of an entree and take it over to one of your fridges somewhere. I think there's one at Huckleberry Roasters up on the north side by me. Yeah. Um, so I, just awesome ideas, um, amazing work. Thank you for the work that you do. We appreciate your time today. Um, and uh, yeah, just eternally grateful for all you're doing for our community. Thank y'all so much for having us. Well, I know we always try to end with one cool thing, and I think a very simple, cool, quick thing to just end this particular episode on is just the the humanity and the willing the willingness of people in our community to to give back and to chip in when they're needed. And I think it's cool to see. I've seen it. We've seen it in so many ways since we've started this podcast. And uh, I just I think that you know continue to encourage people to give back, whatever way they can. Uh, and and also through this podcast, continue to listen. We hope you like it. We hope you share it with your friends. Um, subscribe. You can find us on iTunes podcasts or Podbean. Go to goodandgrounded.com to learn more. Um, if you have uh, somebody that you'd like us to interview or an interesting subject that has a need in our community, please send them our way. Uh, find our emails, find a way to contact us, and we'd be glad to interview them. And let's get out there and do some good in our Colorado communities. Mm -hmm.